Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. <clears throat> so I have a PSA that I tried to make while you were all meeting greeting because I forgot to make it. So I will say it now that I have your undivided attention, right? No? Man, it is quiet in this room today. It must be the sun. We must not be used to it. But one of the vases has, we need one vase still. It's the ceramic vase uh, has not been returned. So if you have it, if you took the flowers from that, they're still missing the vase. So I'm just the messenger, so I'm just letting you know. Uh, but anyway, how many of you are fishermen or fisherwomen? I know Bjorn is. Bjorn's like, I think Bjorn should be like on the circuit. If I'm going to go fishing, I'm going with you because you know where the fish are. I didn't say that, so I don't want you to bombard Bjorn. But anyway, I didn't see. How many of you are fishermen or fisherwomen? Oh, there's a few. How many of you wish were fishermen? Or, oh, there's a few wishes too. When we fish, here's what happens is whether you're on the ocean or a pond or a river or a lake, you cast this lure into the water and it's shinery, shiny, shinery, I don't, that's not a word, but shiny, shimmery, and the whole goal is to make your bait look irresistible to the fish that you're trying to catch. And so as this lure shimmers through the water and it goes past a fish's nose and it captures some attention, all of a sudden here comes the fish and it begins to chase it and go after it. And in the moment, there's, if fish have emotions, I don't know, you can tell me or maybe Bjorn can tell you, but I think they do because I think their emotions shift and they get locked in on this luster of the lure. And they go after it and they hammer it and before they know it, the barb is in their lip and they're being reeled to the boat or the shore or however you fish it. But in that moment, what was shiny and lustered and appealing all of a sudden became very dangerous because that fish is probably now going from the water to your pan. But it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit that we're going to see in Galatians today. There's a real drive in this culture that really Christianity is based upon emotion and hype and experience. And we begin to pursue the works of the Holy Spirit while neglecting the one who gives the Holy Spirit, Jesus, himself. And if you're in this room and you're thinking maybe you're just checking out Christianity or maybe you haven't been in church for a while and you're like, man, Christians are kind of weird. Like I walk in this room and like there's this weird, not here obviously, but other places, you know. You walk in and there's like all these people going crazy and maybe there's flags waving in the air and maybe they're dancing and doing some chant or maybe they're all over the place. And while I'm an advocate for dancing for the Lord, sometimes it can get a little out of hand and what become what is meant for good can become a distraction as we begin to pursue the Holy Spirit rather than Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is going to warn the Galatians of this morning is don't be weird, Galatians. Don't forget that you received the Holy Spirit by belief in Christ, and now you're trying to pursue it and create this emotion and this drive towards something that God never intended the Holy Spirit to be. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The first thing we see is, you haven't seen the second yet, but he says, oh foolish Galatians, and then he calls them foolish again here in a second. Foolish carries with this idea of idiotic, stupid, or senseless. 
It's not a very good term to be addressed by. The thing that he was not doing was saying, coming alongside and saying that they were lacking some IQ, like they were literally dumb and not smart. He's saying, really what you're doing is lacking spiritual discernment. You're lacking spiritual discernment because you have forgotten, as we're going to see in a minute, after you've seen these works of miracles, the power of the Holy Spirit moving in ways that only he can, you have already thought that now you can pursue those works, you can pursue those miracles, you can pursue the works of the Holy Spirit, and then he'll come and do his thing. And he's like, oh, how quickly you've forgotten. Do you not remember that you received the Holy Spirit by believing upon Christ and Christ alone? Hear this. The Holy Spirit is not someone who we can, like, pursue after and get. The Holy Spirit is one whom we receive as a gift upon salvation. What we have done in this culture is begin to pursue the Holy Spirit like he's this maniac man who just drives our emotions and our experience and we want to leave the room feeling like everything is just great. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was a gift to us from believing upon the finished work of Christ. He is our helper. He is our guarantee of the hope of heaven and many other things as we're going to see in a minute. But I'm getting way ahead of myself, so here we go to verse 2. Let me ask you, only this, Paul says, this is his only question, and I've circled it in my Bible. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? He says it again. Are you stupid? Are, like, are you senseless? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying this gift of the Holy Spirit that I, that God gave you to be perfected, to be refined more into the image of Jesus, did you earn that to begin with? Paul say, no, you did not earn it. God, Jesus, gave it to you as a gift. Then he says this, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he, or God, who supplied the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. If you've been in the church any time, or maybe you haven't, and that's great, I'm stoked that you're here. Romans 10:17 says this: so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. What we're gonna see in this text is really all of Galatians, all of the gospel is centered on one thing: faith. Faith, not earning it, not measuring up. You can't earn the Holy Spirit. You can't earn the works and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't earn him as your helper. You can't earn him as your guarantee or your comforter. You can only receive him. What the Jews have begun to do in all the church in Galatia is go back to saying, yeah, we want the Holy Spirit, but we can earn him and we can get him and manufacture whatever. We want the Holy Spirit because we've seen him do miracles and Paul is reminding them, you can not earn it. Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This word believed in the Greek is pastuo. It does not mean, like, I believe the Warriors are going to win the Western Conference Finals. Like, I just kind of think it could happen. I hope it happens. Not, that's not what Paul is saying. 
believe here in the Greek, this very word literally means to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of one's complete trust. Complete and utter trust. So here is not, the gospel is not, in fact, R.C. Sproul said it this way, justification is not the profession of faith, it is the possession of faith that we have owned it as our own, that we believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ went to the grave and rose out of it on the third day to offer life and life to the full. That is faith. It takes faith. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't see Jesus. I wish I could. I wish I walked with him. And you're thinking, well, if I could have walked with him, then I would really believe. Oh, really? Ask some of the disciples and ask the people that walked with him. Ask Thomas. Thomas walked with him, and he still had his doubts. In his moment of weakness, he still wandered away. Ask Judas. Judas betrayed him. Ask anyone who walked with Jesus. Walking with him is not any indication to believe. That's why justification being made pure, whole, and righteous is by faith and faith alone. Verse 7, Paul says this, Know then, and don't miss this. You can't see this in the English version, but this word know in the Greek is an imperative. It's the only one in the whole chapter. An imperative, all you need to know is this. It's a command. It's not a recommendation. It's not like up for my discernment and decision making whether I want to choose to believe this. Paul is saying no without a shadow of a doubt. This is a command that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And then he says this in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, not by works, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Have you ever thought about this? That when God met Abraham in the Old Testament, and made a promise that all the nations would be blessed, he was preaching the gospel. He was preaching that Jesus was going to come to bless all nations. What is blessed? It's not that I get everything I want or that I get what I earn. Blessed literally in this context is we are blessed that we have been given the opportunity to be saved if we would believe in faith that Jesus is who he said he is. That's faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Assurance, by definition, is freedom from doubt or certainty about something. So Paul is saying we have the assurance of things hoped for, heaven that is coming, without a shadow of a doubt that we believe that. And then conviction is the state of being convinced. So not only are we looking towards heaven, but we are convinced that when Jesus hung on a cross, it counted for me. That's faith. And it's hard because we can't see it. We can't, it's not material in front of us like we're believing on this man who said that he did all these things. And it can be hard. If you're in this room and you doubt that he's true, man, like, I get it. It can be hard to believe upon someone who all we have done is read about but Paul is saying that we cannot inherit salvation. We cannot be made whole without faith. So if we look at this text, there's a lot going on here. But really, if we look at it at its core, almost all of it is driven towards what they were doing with the Holy Spirit. Almost all of it. 
I mean, it's right here. He mentions it many times, hearing with faith. But did you receive the Spirit through works of the law or by grace, by Christ? Here's what Paul is saying. Oh, you foolish Galatians, how senseless you are. That all the works of the Holy Spirit that you are seeing, miracles, um, God showing himself in ways that only he can show himself, all of a sudden, you think that it has something to do with you pursuing after the Spirit and asking Him to move. Paul's saying you couldn't be any more wrong. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He is our guarantee. He is our power, but He does not come by us pursuing Him. He comes by us pursuing Christ and Christ alone. This is not based on an emotion. This is not based upon an experience. It's based upon a fact that, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked out of the grave. And when he did that, for any who will believe in faith, he gives the Holy Spirit. See, we don't need to pray, oh, God, give me the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, would you do all these things? If you are in Christ, you have already been given the fullness of the Spirit. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave resides in you. If you have professed faith in Christ, did you earn it? No. Was it by you pursuing the Holy Spirit? No. It was the goodness and the grace of God giving you his helper, his Holy Spirit, so that you could walk in the fullness of life. I want to clear up one thing. Often I hear the Holy Spirit referred to as it or a force or whatever you have heard. I'm sure you've heard it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he. He is the third person of the Trinity. While we don't understand him fully, he is God. He is our strength and our power. See, in these opening verses of chapter 3, the Galatians were obviously enthralled by the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit miracles. It's right in the text. I mean, <clears throat> you can see that God was doing miracles among them. But at the same time, their grasp on the fundamental truths of the gospel was woefully inadequate. Why? Because they were putting their faith in the works of Christ and not the work of Christ, his finished atoning work on the cross. And we often do the same thing in pursuit of emotions and experience. Did you know that one of the most dangerous dichotomies in the Christian life is this? If you're taking notes, I would write it down. For the spiritual to be divorced from the doctrinal, and experience to be a divorced from theology. It's very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. What happens, because see, the two are actually supposed to be married together. They go hand in hand. But often we have these two camps. We have the experience camp, all emotion-driven and experience-driven. And then we have the theology camp over here. And they're just like dead stumps in a forest who don't move, which I don't get either. Paul is saying, and God has come to merge the two beautifully together. The theology should drive some emotion. It drives an experience with God. But if we're seeking an experience by pursuing the Spirit, we will miss God. We will miss all that he wants to do because we did not earn the Holy Spirit. We were given the Holy Spirit as a gift. I want you to hear what Paul says in probably the most explicitly charismatic passage in the New Testament. I got a little charismatic in me, and I'm proud of it, but somewhere in the middle, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 14, 15 through 19, what am I to do? 
I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? This is where weird Christianity comes from. People that are far from Christ walk in a room and they're like, what the heck is going on in this chaos room? <laughs> like this doesn't, this is just flat out weird to which I say, amen, it probably is. I mean, just this chaos everywhere. It's a distraction and people who need life can't find it because it's so blinded by distraction. And that's what Paul's talking about. And then verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. This is very interesting. Paul is saying don't neglect the experience and the emotion. Don't, ex don't neglect praising and praying in the Spirit. But also, don't neglect and remember that you're also to do the same thing in your mind with your intellect. See, worship is not just some free-for-all that we just regurgitate these phrases or prayers that we just say all these things to God and we don't even know what we're saying because we're hoping for some experience or some emotion. Paul is saying, and God is saying, there needs to be a balance of what? I find it interesting. Spirit and truth. Spirit and the mind, the intellect, that God is who he said he is, and then the Holy Spirit begins to move with power. Paul did not say that the Galatians had less than a fully genuine experience of the Holy Spirit, but actually the opposite if we look. Since they had received the Holy Spirit and witnessed his mighty works, but here was the problem. They were moving from spirit to flesh. They were moving from faith to works. They were moving from grace to law as if they earned it themselves to begin with. Once, and here's the temptation. Once we begin to experience a move of God and his Holy Spirit doing what only he can do, the temptation is, oh man, I'm pretty good. I had something to do with that. Maybe if I just do a little more, maybe if I create some more lights and smoke machines, and maybe if I bring more people, maybe if I manufacture what only God can do, it'll have a little more luster. Maybe if I just do a little more, then the Holy Spirit of God will move in a way that he wouldn't otherwise move. What a lie. What a dangerous lure. The Holy Spirit of God moves when his people come to Christ on his terms and bow low and say, here am I. God, do your thing. Do you know the greatest miracle the Holy Spirit ever produces? A dead heart be given life. That's the message of the gospel. There is nothing else that compares. Nothing compares. It is, there is no greater miracle than a heart of stone being given a heart of flesh, than a heart that is dead be given life, than someone who had no hope be given hope, and only the Spirit of God can do that. Only. He has to move. He has to move in a way that exalts Christ. That's a miracle. What the Galatians had done is kind of forgotten about that miracle and moved into the other one, like the higher class miracles, like the cool ones, like the ones that people want to see and strive towards. At the same time, just left Jesus in the dust. And Paul is reminding them, oh, you foolish people. 
how quickly you forget it's Christ and Christ alone. Nothing else. And nothing else will satisfy. See, they had let their emotions take over and as a result had neglected the truth of the gospel. Did you know that one of the greatest dangers in the church today is this? Attempting to do, that's the key word, do the work of the Spirit apart from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We try to play Holy Spirit, right? We try to play him often like this theater, like we walk into a theater and we put on this mask, the Holy Spirit mask. Well, we're going to play the Holy Spirit today. We're going to create the work that only he can do by doing all of these things. We're going to pursue him and run after him. And God is saying, "Uh uh-uh, you can do that, but my power and my presence will be absent. And if the Holy Spirit, the power and presence of God is absent, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is absent, we're not doing anything but seriously spinning our wheels in this hamster wheel that we're not accomplishing anything. But here's the amazing thing. When we pursue Christ and Christ alone, the Holy Spirit of God does things in the hearts and lives of people that no one can fathom, that no one can manufacture that no one can have anything to do with. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit's work in the lives of people. Put it this way. We often seek after the move of God rather than seeking after the presence of God. It can be very tempting in the church as the church grows. I mean, you guys are seeing a little, probably less than half. I mean, this room is packed for the nine. So all that to say you're not seeing everything that God is doing. And the temptation can be, man, God, look at what you're doing. And then we begin to pursue this move of God. We begin to pursue after all the things he wants us to do, and we neglect who he is. He doesn't care. He'll do his thing. He'll move as he wants to move. It's our job to focus on pursuing his presence, pursuing his character, pursuing his nature. Whatever happens out here, let the chips fall where they may. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not ours. So we're going to quit playing the Holy Spirit. We're going to proclaim Christ and him crucified. We're going to decide to know nothing like Paul else other than Jesus Christ and him crucified for life and life to the full, for wholeness for people that are broken. That's when the Holy Spirit of God moves. Or we chase after the miracles of God rather than chasing after the heart of God. It's a great temptation. I see it a lot. By the way, I want to preface this by saying this. God still does miracles. I believe it 100%. We should pray for him to do miracles. We should pray for him to heal. He doesn't always answer the way that we want him to answer. But the problem is when we're in our time of greatest need, we begin to pursue him and pray. And what are we praying for? A miracle. And we neglect his presence. He's more concerned with what he's doing in our heart than anything out here. Because if he doesn't have this, we're lost. And that's what the Galatians were doing. They had seen miracles because God does miracles. But just hear this. Don't neglect his presence in pursuit of a miracle. His miracle is that he rose from the grave to give life and life to the full. And anything outside of that he chooses to do is on him, not us. Or maybe we pursue our emotions with the heart rather than pursuing the truth with our mind. That's a big one. Huge one. There's a whole lot of movements in this country pursuing everything of the emotions and the heart. Well, the Bible says the heart's wicked and deceitful above all else. We can know that we know that we know that the truth of the gospel is true because of what is written in this book. 
See, Paul wanted to warn the churches that he had founded of the theological weapons that they needed to withstand the seductive influences that would shipwreck their souls. When we begin to chase after this shiny lure of the Holy Spirit and emotion, we totally shipwreck our souls because we neglect and forget the one person who came to give us life and life to the full. Come to God, ask him, pray, and expect the Holy Spirit of God to move because he's in you if you're a believer in Christ. But don't chase this destructive, shiny lure of emotion and neglect the one who has given everything. What does the Holy Spirit do? Some works that he does is he convicts the lost and reveals Christ to them. We see that in John 16. The Bible actually says, which is crazy, that we can resist the Spirit in Acts 7.51. That's a scary thing. The Holy Spirit seals a believer as a guarantee that one day they will share glory with Christ, Ephesians 1. Is there anything greater? <laughs> that this is not our home. That this is not what we live for. That all the turmoil and all the pain and all the struggle and all the misunderstanding and things that we just can't comprehend and get our mind around, that this is not it. And God has given a gift of the Holy Spirit to remind us that this is not our home. And if you're not in Christ, you don't have that gift. You don't have the guarantee of your soul because I'm telling you, eternity is forever and it's real. The Holy Spirit empowers the believer, 1 Timothy 1. He guides us in all truth, John 16. I think sometimes, like I said, we miss truth and seek in search of emotion. But the Holy Spirit's job is to guide in truth. He's also our helper, our helper in our time of need, which is one of the greatest, most beautiful attributes of the Holy Spirit that I can even process or comprehend. If you've been in a difficult season and a time in your life where you just needed God and you felt the Holy Spirit come and help you in a time of need, you can't explain it. You can know it. You can experience it. You can feel it. But you can't explain it to other people. It's impossible. But also, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. This is a scary thing. That through disobeying God, we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit? I think one of the ways is by trying to play the Holy Spirit and play his role to try to manufacture some move of the Spirit, to manufacture something that looks like a move of God to the rest of the world, but God's saying, I'm not even in that thing. It grieves me, the fact that you would neglect your first love, that you would run from my one and only Son who was crucified on a cross to give you life, and then try to produce some machine. It quenches my spirit, and it grieves it. We can't manufacture it. We can come to him and bow low and say, God, I just need help. Just do your thing. Do whatever you can do because I can't do it. How do we know if we have tried to manufacture a move of the Spirit? I would say this, by pursuing the works of the Spirit rather than the finished work of Christ. If we have done that, we are just off base. We are off track. But the beautiful thing is, when we come to Christ, when we bow low, I promise you, he is going to do things that will blow your mind. In this church, in your marriage, in, in just a hurting soul, at someone who is longing and just hurting, if we will come to him, Christ and Christ alone, he is the one that heals. 
The Holy Spirit isn't even the one who heals. Jesus heals. God heals through the power of the Holy Spirit. And often we just come to the Holy Spirit and pray like we've missed it. If we would come to Christ and Christ alone, he would do amazing things. I'll sum it up by saying this. We don't find the Spirit by seeking after the Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit by seeking after Christ and Christ alone. I don't know if you're aware, but you may be. There's some crazy theology out there these days, <laughs> like whacked-out, whack-job theology. I'm going to read you something, and <clears throat> I, don't know where, I don't know where you're at on this. I'm just, uh, I'll just say you can take it up with God, not me. Or his word. Don't take it up with me. Take it up with his word. If you have, yeah, not me. I don't want to be in the middle of it. But there's this movement. It's the Bethel movement. And one of the things they do is have healing rooms. And I'm going to read a quote from what they say about their healing rooms. The healing rooms are where we pursue the Holy Spirit. Well, we're already off. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to pursue the Holy Spirit. It says to seek after the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't say to pursue the Holy Spirit anywhere. We are to pursue Christ, and he gives the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, so pursue the Holy Spirit and his healing power. Well, for one, Christ is the one who heals, and he uses the Holy Spirit in a special time of ministry. And then it says this, it's a place where we see God bring to life wholeness and love to those who are suffering from physical ailments. Well, if we know the scriptures, we know that wholeness is not just suffering one day, Revelation, all will be healed, but wholeness is the wholeness of the heart, that which God has come to heal. And then it says this, to God is to bring great restoration and healing with over 8,000 guests annually. We see hundreds of people who come through the healing rooms every week, and it's incredible. So they're pursuing the Holy Spirit, and they're after, just like the Galatians, it is no different. Paul would say the same thing, oh, you foolish people. You're neglecting Christ to pursue the Spirit. You don't get the Spirit by pursuing the Spirit. You get the, and receive the Spirit from pursuing Christ. See, within this movement, there's a deadly elevation of experience and pursuit of the Holy Spirit over Scripture. I want you to hear what Bill Johnson says, and I quote, God wants to take us farther, and we can only get there by following signs. Our present understanding of Scripture can only take us so far. Ouch. Ouch. I mean, what a lie. This is the fullness of God. Everything he has revealed in here is for us, and it's this and this alone. Scripture is enough. No jot, no tittle will be removed. It's all the inerrant, infallible word of God. And then he goes on to say this. We need to stop focusing on our need to protect ourselves from deception. Not a good plan since the Bible says the heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. Instead, our hunger for him must be seen in our lustful pursuit of the spiritual gifts. It's not true. I mean, that's a sick word to me to use there. Yeah, God calls us, for, I mean, the Bible says pursue the gifts, but it's not they're pursuing the work of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what they're pursuing is the miracles, the emotion, the extremes. Then he says this, the church needs to stop living according to an intellectual approach to the scriptures, void of the Holy Spirit's influence, which leads to a false sense of security. 
Now, to be fair, like, I don't, I'm not him, and I can see, I mean, I don't want to rip it out of context, but this thing just doesn't even make sense as it's written. I mean, we just saw in 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul is saying, praise God with the Spirit and with your mind. Uh, Pray in the Spirit and with your mind. That's an intellectual approach, by the way, with the mind. What he is saying is get rid of all the intellect and just run on emotion, run on experience, and that is not the fullness of God. In fact, it's a thwarted, manufactured work, and the Holy Spirit is not in that because it doesn't exalt Christ. And then this is the big one. He also says this, salvation is not God's ultimate goal. What? Have you, Genesis to Revelation, his whole goal is the salvation of his people who he wants to redeem. He says, but it's his immediate goal. Where he got that? No idea. God's ultimate goal on earth is the fullness of the spirit in the believer For getting us to heaven is not near as great as the challenge as getting heaven into us. What the heck is that? Our hope of heaven is not heaven getting into us. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of the heaven that is to come. That if we are not in Christ, we have no hope of that heaven. Nowhere in this Bible does it say talk about getting heaven into us and dwelling heaven into us. It's a place that we are going for those who have been redeemed. And this is a sick, sick, destructive lure because it drives emotion at its highest core. The Holy Spirit of God moves with power when we pursue Christ and Christ alone. That's how he moves. As we begin to wrap up, I want to say this. Did you know that it is possible to have the provision of God without the power and the presence of God? And I can see your faces thinking, that is not true. And I want to say, you want to bet? Turn to Exodus 33, chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, and a little context. Th- keep in mind, Israel, God had led them out of slavery. He had provided for them in every way. He had given them everything they need for 40 years, provided everything. They wander and they ebb and flow and they run from him and come back. And now they've hit the Red Sea and God splits the sea in front of them and they walk across on dry ground, freeing them from their enemies. And the stories could go on and on and on. But the whole time, God is promising them the promised land that is coming, the very land that he is going to give them, not because they earned it, but because God is good and gracious. So they get up into this point, and they're right about to enter into the promised land. And Exodus 33 reveals this. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. That's provision. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and all the sites. And then verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. Don't miss this. But I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. I mean, that's wild. 
the whole way God was with them, leading them, bringing them out of slavery into his promise. And then they get right there and God says, listen, I've provided everything. The provision is here. You are to go into the land. In fact, go. I've given it to you. Just a little side note, I'm not going with you because you're a stiff-necked people. Wow. (laughs) I mean, that's crazy. But the same thing can happen today in our lives, in the church, wherever. We can see God's provision because he is good to his people. He provides for his people even when we don't deserve it. That's grace. That's mercy. But we can see the full provision of God and he could not be in it. That's scary. And I think the way that happens is we begin to pursue things that are not for us to be pursued. Miracles, emotion, all this stuff, the works of the Holy Spirit, all this dancing craziness, blah, 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 trying to drive and create, trying to play the Holy Spirit, be who the Holy Spirit is only to be. And all of a sudden we look back and the provision of God can be there and he is absent and nowhere to be seen. And I hate to say it, but I think it happens a lot in the church today. Oh, God, would we not be that kind of a church? Would we be a people that run after Jesus, the redeemer of our souls? Would we be a people who care nothing about anything other than getting on God's train and riding with him? Because the moment that we get out ahead of him, the moment, as one of our values is, we trust his timing because I don't want to be outside of his timing. I don't want to create something that he's not creating. I don't want to do something that he's not doing. We want his spirit to move. We want his spirit to mobilize. And how does it happen? By pursuing and worshiping the king of all kings. Watch what he will do with a bunch of people who run hard after Jesus. Oh, would we not be a church as you, we look around Like I said, you can't even see really a glimpse of it in the 11, but God is doing some incredible things. And man, I don't want to be a church that looks like the provision of God is all over it, yet his presence is nowhere to be found. If we will seek Christ and be about one thing, just as Paul was, decide to know nothing other than Christ and him crucified. Why? Because Christ is the one who gives the Holy Spirit when he enters a believer's heart. Watch what will happen in the church and in your life and in your struggle and in your pain when that happens. That's something you can't manufacture. That's something you can't create. And that's something that that you can't sustain. Only God can through the power of his spirit. As we wrap up, if the band wants to come forward, So what does power come from? Does it come from faith in and pursuit of the Spirit? Not according to Paul and not according to Scripture. Power comes from faith in and the pursuit of Christ and Christ alone. That's how the Holy Spirit mobilizes to accomplish his purpose, accomplish his plan, and that's the gospel. That God has so graciously given us a gift that we did not deserve. 
that he gave us a helper that we did not deserve, that he gave us a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So when the darkest days are in front of you, when you don't have any more to give and your tears have all been cried out and your heart is so broken that you can't even feel it break anymore and you've been betrayed and you've been rejected and you don't understand why you're family member is not being healed and you're just at the lowest of lows the ultimate low that God can come in if we pursue Christ and remind you hey your guarantee I've given you my spirit as a helper to remind you of one thing it's a guarantee of the glory that is to come if you're not in Christ you don't have a helper the Holy Spirit the Bible says is our helper I mean I don't know how you get through life without a helper I couldn't get through life without my wife. I know that. My life would be a complete wreck and I wouldn't even know how to eat. She is my helper. She's a beautiful helper. And that's what the Holy Spirit has done for us is to come in and be our helper when we can't help ourselves, when we can't feed ourselves. The Holy Spirit comes in and does the work that only he can do. Did you know that this Bible does not even really make sense beyond an intellectual ascent without the Holy Spirit? It's living, it's alive, it's active. And without the Holy Spirit really moving in us and revealing truth to us, we are nothing but just reading pages on a book. But once you come to Christ and you've been redeemed and the Holy Spirit enters, it's life and life to the full. He is our helper. So here's the question. Wherever you're at, Whatever your struggle, whatever your pain, whatever your joy, whatever your high, whatever your low, please do not develop a faith based off of emotion and experience. It is so much deeper. It's about the truth of the gospel, that this is true, that every word in it is true. And that it can be trusted 1,000%. Because you know what emotion does? When life hits you like a hammer, emotions drop like a big old weight. But when it's grounded upon truth, the truth of the gospel that Jesus has come to offer life, emotions ebb and flow, truth does not. And God is saying, come to me, see me, Believe me, trust me, when your world is falling apart. Don't base it on emotion. Base it on the fact that I proved my love for you when I walked out of the grave to give you life and life to the full. There is nothing greater. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit begins to move in your life and in your heart in ways that you cannot explain, you cannot define, you can only experience and believe. That's the gospel. That God came to take those who are far from him and bring them near. And it all comes from what? Faith. You can't earn it. You can't pursue him enough. And you can't do enough good things to earn your way. God says it's all about me. Has been from the beginning and it will be till the end. Believe upon what I have accomplished, what I have done, and you will be completely justified or declared right and righteous in the sight of God. And it's faith and faith alone that justifies. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for each person in this room. And God, I pray wherever they're at, God, whatever is going on in their heart and in their life, God, that you would really come alongside them in a tender way. Remind them of your faithfulness. 
God, would we be a bunch of people that pursue Jesus and Jesus alone? And God, as we do that, I pray that you would unleash the power of your spirit among us. That you would fall upon this room, Holy Spirit, and do the things that only you can do. Would our gaze be fixed on, fixed on Jesus? Would our gaze be fixed on heaven? And God, as we pursue you and as we run after you, would you do the things that only you can do? Heal what is broken. Bring to life what is dead. Be our helper. Be our guide. And be our guarantee of the hope that is to come. God, we're believing you for mega things in this valley. God, I'm believing that your spirit wants to be unleashed, Holy Spirit. I believe you want to do something in this place. But if we fix our eyes on anything and anyone other than Jesus, the provision may be there, but your power and presence may be absent. So God, help us to be a people that surrender everything and run to you, for in you is life and life to the full. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.